awareness. Uh, oftentimes, we are not aware of things until it becomes personal to us. For example, I was not aware of how, uh, how much of a lack of handicap uh, accessibility or wheelchair accessibility there is in New York until uh, my mother-in-law came to live with us and until we had a giant stroller that weighs like 40 pounds. And, uh, and part of that is because I like running stairs. You know, it was part of, I played soccer in high school and we had to run up and down stairs and I feel strong and I like stairs and I'm like, yeah, I can do stairs all day, up and down, up and down, right? And uh, it never, I never stopped to be aware of, of the need of other people uh, and the need uh, uh, or the lack thereof this accessibility for other people, right? And, and, and awareness uh, oftentimes doesn't happen until there becomes a personal need, until it becomes something that, uh, that you require, right? And so with Sebastian now, uh, I'm walking around New York, and I'm like realizing, Marga and I are realizing, like, oh, well, if we take, you know, this, we'll take the, butt, we'll take the train to this spot, and then we'll walk from there to here because there's no elevator at this place or that place or whatever. And, uh, and uh, also realizing how many times the elevators uh, are either just kind of gross or weird or smelly and like, they're just, you know, they're like really sketchy. And we, we were at uh, Columbus Circle and <laughs> we were going to go into the elevator and there was this lady ahead of us and she had a big stroller full of her belongings and she got in and I'm like, all right, we're, get, we're getting in. So we're going, right? This is New York and these, this person matters and here we go. So we got in the stroller and then like 15 other people also got into the elevator. And, you know, so we're pretty tight in there. And then, you know, once, sometimes the elevator opens on one side and then it goes down and then it opens on the other side, right? And so this happened and now the lady was, with the stroller, was like in front of all of us and we couldn't get out. And so she decided, no, I'm going to stay in the elevator. I don't want to get out. But her stroller was in the way of my stroller with my son and the, you know, 35 other people that were in the elevator with me. Really was like, three but so then one person was like no I'm not I'm not gonna deal with this she just kind of scooted on by and like got out so then the woman with the car was like oh well she can get out everybody can get out so you guys get out I'm not getting out you guys all get out so we're like ah so we're like trying to get out and then like the the lady on one side and another lady on the other side started getting into an argument like like yelling at each other I'm in between with with Sebastian and I'm like uh okay and I can't go anywhere because this thing is like in her in her way in my way right it's like awareness right of uh, of the plight of people who need uh access to uh to elevators and strollers and all these things right but we don't become aware until it's our own personal need uh, or until something kind of wakes us up from it. And uh, we've been in a series uh, on, um, on the parables. And that's what the parables do. The parables are short stories that Jesus told, and they were often a way of waking people up. They're a way of making us aware, making the, the hearers aware of some different way of seeing things, of the way that the kingdom works, a way that, uh, that is challenging to the, the status quo or the way that we uh, kind of were walking through things. And so our series, we're, we've been encouraging us to, um, to imagine, to really take time to imagine, to, to step into these stories and to find ourselves in, a, in, in, in looking through uh, what this world would look like through Jesus' eyes. And really, that's the invitation that Jesus gives us. He invites us to imagine this world. 
uh, Scott McKnight wrote, um, that's what happens in the parables of Jesus. We enter into the storied world of Jesus. We see the world through that story, and we come away with new vision of what might be, and we begin to live it out. And so these stories are partly to kind of make us aware and to wake us up towards a, a different reality. Uh, and they're also a way of explaining things that will help us. And so my encouragement to us is, can we step into it, use our imagination, under, like see the world that Jesus is creating, get a picture of what the kingdom is like, get a picture of what, uh, of what the world could be like if we all lived this way, or if, uh, if we followed how Christ was envisioning the world to be. And then, and then come out of that imagination and bring that into the real world and how we live our lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at... Um, we're going to look at my favorite uh, parable. It's actually three parables, kind of this one moment where Jesus used these three stories to communicate to a, a group of people the same thing. And, and I think that this is probably one of the most beautiful and one of the most important images in the whole Bible. And is the parable of, uh, of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. Right, um, but before I we we get into the story, I want us to I want to set up a couple of things. Number one, uh, what's happening and why is Jesus telling this story? Um, all throughout history, and I think uh, history past and history moving forward, there are people who are in, and there are people who are out, and our social constructs kind of define who's in, and who's out. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure at some point you felt in, I hope. Unfortunately, though, many of us have also experienced what it's like to be out and the pain that that can cause. And, um, and this is not, and, and so this is part of what Jesus uh, is going to tackle here. And this is probably one of the most important, uh, one of the most important questions for us is, is, are we in? Who's in? And how do I, how do I stay in once I'm in, right? I, I work with high school kids uh, with Young Life, right? And one of the most important dynamics that kids have is, uh, is how do I get in? And once I'm in, how do I stay in? And I, whatever it takes, I'll do it as long as I can stay in. Whoever I need to murder, I'll do it as long as I can stay in, right? My best friend from life, that's cool. As long as we're both in, we're okay. But if you're going to cause me to be out, then, you know, uh, and, uh, and actually with the, with the teenage world, the major task of adolescence is, um, is to individuation, right? The, the process of becoming who, uh, this individual, who am I going to be? And the three major tasks in that, the three major questions is identity. Who am I? They're asking that question, right? I, uh, autonomy is, do I matter? And number three is community. Where do I belong? Who are my people? And this is probably one of the uh, hardest questions. And I think we all ask the same question. Where do I belong? Am I in or am I out? And so Jesus is walking around in Luke chapter 15. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he is changing the world. He is establishing the kingdom of God everywhere he's going. 
and, and, uh, and everywhere he's going, he's attracting people to himself. There's something you got to know about Jesus. It doesn't matter where he was, people wanted to be around him. All kinds of people wanted to be around Jesus. Good people, bad people, weird people, short people, tall people, all people wanted to be around Jesus. There was something about him that, there was this, uh, the, that was magnetic. People wanted to be with him, and he was safe to be around. But he was also not safe to be around. There was this mystery about him. There was this danger about him. There was this presence about him. And, uh, and the kind of people that Jesus attracted weren't always the kind of people that you would assume were the people that Jesus would have attract, attracted. And maybe if we look at the church today in the United States, we would also assume that Jesus would have attracted only a certain type of people. Right? Reflecting what our churches maybe reflect. So let's go to the story uh, in, uh, well, actually, we're going to read the story in a minute, but I just want to give a couple of, uh, of uh, things before we get to this story. <laughs> Number one, context, right? Uh, why is Jesus telling this story? Uh, the kind of people that were attracted to Jesus were, uh, in this moment, Jesus uh, was eating and um, um, drinking, and he was having these banquets, and he was eating with a group of people that were labeled sinners and tax collectors, right? So these are not the kind of people that you'd want to have uh, if you were trying to establish yourself socially in, uh, in Israel at this time, right? But Jesus is hanging out with them. There was something. They were, uh, these people were gathering around him. The Bible says they were, they were gathering. Or another way of putting it is they were drawing to him, right? Uh, and tax collectors, uh, why are these people like, on the outside, right? Uh, the problem with tax collectors is that they worked for Rome. Understand that Israel at this time was under oppression from a colonizing uh, empire, the Roman Empire. And so the people who are tax collectors worked for Rome to collect taxes of their own people. And so these are people that were viewed as incredibly evil. And oftentimes we'll kind of look at them as like the tax collectors were bad because they would tax extra and steal from people and they were shifty characters and they were kind of like sneaky and like, you know, evil kind of looking. They were little rats, you know. Uh, and oftentimes that we, we see the tax collectors in that way. But, you know, tax collectors were just trying to do their jobs. And not all of them were, were sneaky and shifty and, and sketchy. And not all of them uh, were uh, overtaxing people, right? That's a misnomer. Often many of them were just trying to do their jobs. But their job, they worked for Rome. And so that made them traitors, right? And the other group of people were sinners, right? And we don't know what that means. It doesn't, like, fully give us a description. They're just, under, in a quotation, sinners, right? And that could mean that they were, you know, just really, really bad people who did really, really terrible, evil things and walked around kicking puppies and, you know, drowning kittens. Sure. But they also could have just been normal people who, uh, in living their life, are living completely disconnected from God. Right? So there's like multiple le levels between, you know, the puppy kickers and normal people who are just living disconnected from, from God. Right? Uh, 
Uh, and but these were the kind of people that were surrounding Jesus, and uh, and that didn't sit well with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And so, verse two, they were muttering, uh, the uh, and they said, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." Right. And so then, this there is the challenge. There's the problem. There is the the situation. They're like criticizing Jesus and commenting about who Jesus is and what he's doing and who he's sitting with and who he's talking to. So Jesus tells them a story to wake them up. And we're going to read the story in a second. I just want to give a couple more things for us to think about before we sit down with the story. And this is and, and the way we're going to sit down with the story is I want us to to really just kind of imagine ourselves in this place, sitting there and listening. Uh, so thing number two is, um, <clears throat> so these, these are, there are three stories here, and, and they have kind of a rule of three, which means that the first, uh, whenever there's three things in the Bible together, pay attention. Like they're, they're, they're together because they're, they're supposed to be together, right? It's going to mean something. And so the first two are very, very similar. The first two almost mirror each other identically. And then the third one is going to be a variant, right? And that's a very uh, common kind of uh, thread that Jesus did, right? We, we saw the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan. You had the priest, the Levite, the first two, and then the third one was the variant, right? You have the parable of the talents, where Jesus tells the story. Uh, and there was the, the first two are good servants that got a certain amount of money. The talent is is an actual amount of money, not not they just that they were had abilities, right? Uh, and uh, they were given a certain amount of money. They invested it well, and they were rewarded well, right? The first two, the third one was a variant, right? And so we're gonna have the first two stories are gonna be very very similar, and and this is basically the flow of the first two stories. There is going to be uh, the subject, the subject is going to lose something, the subject is going to search for something. The subject is going to find completion and then celebration. Those are the, that's kind of the, the way that that's going to go. Now, and the first one is, is, is a, the subject is an owner of 100 sheep. And he has 100 sheep, and one of them gets lost. The second story is a, a woman, and she owns uh, 10 coins, silver coins. And one of those silver coins gets lost. Now, there's something about this that needs to be also... Uh, that we need to be aware of, right? Is, and that is that there, uh, in order for something to be lost, we got to be aware that it was part of a whole. That, there, that this uh, sheep owner had a hundred sheep, and he loses one. One of them gets lost, and so he's going to notice that something is missing, now, this is, this is probably like something kind of obvious, like obviously, you know, he's going to notice. Well, no, not obvious. If you have 100 sheep, you're not going to really notice one unless you're really paying attention. And have you ever tried to count sheep? I work with middle school kids. It's kind of similar, right? You ever tried to count how many middle school kids you have at club? We're like, all right, let's count all the kids. Um, 14. Okay. You know, because they're just moving around, right? And so for him to, for the, for the owner of these sheep to notice that one of the sheep is missing. There has to be some kind of, uh, some kind of like organization to like actually stop and notice that one of these sheep is missing, right? Uh, in, in both of these stories, uh, wealth is implied. Who has 100 sheep? No one had 100 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a 
huge amount of sheep. No one would have this, right? And so uh, for them to lose one, here's the deal. He lost something, and he noticed that something was lost. In the first two, there is this sense that there is incompletion without the piece that was lost. The owner had 100 sheep, and one of them was lost. This woman had 10 coins, and one of them was lost. There's something missing. And because there's something missing, there isn't wholeness. And therefore, it, it spurs the owner to need for completion to have to go and look for that which is missing from his completion, from her completion. And this is not something that we would all do. When Jesus starts the story off, he says, which, which of you, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Does he not look after the 99, or does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep? No. The answer to that question is no. No, you don't. If you have 99 sheep and you're going to leave those 99 to go after one, that means how many sheep do you have? You're going to get one because you left the 99. What are the 99 going to do? They're just going to chill, waiting for you? All right, cool. Just leave us some Netflix, put on TV. We'll be all right. We'll just chill here, right? You know, the big mama sheep is like, yeah, I'll watch them for you. Jesus, go, you go, or shepherd, you go do your thing. No, you leave 99 sheep alone. You come back. You're not going to have 99 sheep, right? There's another phrase, one in the hand is worth two in the bush. It's like, like a bird or something. Well, one sheep that's maybe lost in the middle of nowhere is not worth 99 in the hand. No one does this except in this story. There is something missing. There's a wholeness that's lost by this one being gone, this one sheep, this one coin, and that sparks a need to search which is the second part of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the flow of these stories, right, is there has to then be a search. Now, I don't know if you've ever lost something. Anybody here ever lost something? Anybody here ever lost something of great value to you, like personally? Like the other day, I was uh, meeting with some of my students, and I, uh, I had a, a, my wallet in my back pocket, and I was running because the subway was there, and I swiped in, and then I, you know, I ran down the stairs and I jumped in the elevator in the elevator. I jumped in the subway train, right? And when I got out of the subway train from my house on 148 all the way up here at 207, I walked out and I always kind of like check myself, make sure I have all my things. And I realized that I didn't have my wallet in my back pocket. And so there's that moment of like, <gasps> and I had just gone to the DMV two weeks ago and spent three and a half hours getting my license renewed because, you know, I'm going to be driving a lot in the next couple of weeks and I needed it. And now all of a sudden I'm going to have to go back to the DMV and spend three more hours. And what if someone steals my identity? And what if someone takes all my credit cards and like buys like Apple products, right? And like, and like what if someone uses my Metro card and I can't use my Metro card so now I have to walk home and some punk is going to be, you know, swiping in case, right? There's like that, that moment of panic, right? And so, right, it's like the search. Then it's like, oh, I have to find it. So I'm frantically looking through my backpack, and I'm taking things out, and I'm in the middle of like the subway on the 207, dumping things out of my, of my backpack, and the train is still there, and I walk in, and I look at everything, and the people are looking at me, and I get out, and I dump everything out of my backpack again, and I search again, and then I walk back in the train again, and I'm looking, and people are like, like, what do you need? Like, what's going on, right? 
And, uh, and, but the search, right, is like you get frantic. So then it's like, oh, well, now what do I have to do? Now I have to call all my credit card companies. I have to cancel all my cards. I have to, like, cancel my driver's license. I have to call MTA, get a new, you know, Metro card. I have to do all these things, right? And, this, and I'm with a bunch of my students, and they're just, I'm just like, guys, just hang on for a second. I have to deal with this, right? And so I call Marga, and Marga's like, well, let me, I'll just go down to the subway, and I'll see if I can find it. And I'm like, that's stupid. It's not going to be there. It's been like half an hour, you know. And if anyone finds it, they're not going to return it. Like, ah. She said, well, I'll just go anyway. So she went down to the subway. And she looked all over the track and couldn't find it anywhere. She's like looking to see. And I'm like, babe, if it's on the track, don't get it. Like, where's, like, no. Like, I'll go to the DMV, you know. And, uh, but she went, and I'm like, well, go to the, you know, the, the guy in the booth and maybe someone turned it in. And uh, she went to the guy in the booth and someone had turned it in. With all my cards, yeah, right? And, uh, and uh, with, uh, with all my cash was still in there. Like, all my cash was like 10 bucks, right? But uh, it was all in there. But there was this, like, this sense of this moment of, like, I've lost something, and I need it, and I have to go search for it. And so in this story, in this story, this, um, uh, both of these persons have lost something of value to them. And they need to go find it. And there's, there's a key word here that as, when we read it, I want it to stick out to you. I want you to hear this word. And it says, he went to go find it until he finds it. And the woman is searching all over her, her house and buscando, you know, por debajo de los muebles. And she's moving things around, right? And she continues to search until she finds it. There's this search, and it's open-ended. It doesn't say, like, oh, well, they, he, he kind of glanced around the valley to see if it was, you know, just straggling behind. She didn't just kind of like, eh, okay, well, I, I don't know where it is. There was this pursuit, right? And then there's completion. They're not whole until the lost item is found. And when the lost item is found, there's completion. And what does that completion look like? It looks like joy. Like even right now in our, my silly illustration of losing my wallet, what emotion did you feel when you realized that there was a happy ending there? We clapped. It was spontaneous, right? There was this joy of something was lost and now it is found. I went to camp a few years ago. I go to camp every summer. I'm actually, we're actually leaving on Thursday. And uh, three years ago, I was wearing my wedding ring, which, which was a stupid mistake. And uh, I went to the lake, and I was hanging out with a bunch of kids. And we went to go swim in the lake. And I'm like, oh, whenever I'm in the lake, the water, you know, it might fall off. So let me put it in my pocket because my pants. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My pants had like, they're, you know, I'm from Puerto Rico, so we have like the surfer pants. I don't know, whatever. That's stupid. But it had like a string, so I tied it like multiple times into this string, and then the pants zip. Right? Annie, right? Okay. Like, you know, double security, right? I feel like that was enough. And so I'm, at, I'm out there, I'm swimming around in the water, like, uh, we're hanging out. And when we get out of the lake, I go to put my ring on, and it's gone. I swear to you on my life. I'm looking at you. I'm swearing to you on my life that I lost it in the lake. You don't find a ring in the lake, 
We had a woman lost her cell phone in there one time, an Apple phone. And we had like, she said, I'll give $100 to anyone who finds it. We had like 70 boys like swimming in this lake, like searching frantically at the bottom for this thing. Right? You don't find things in, especially not a ring, in a lake. And uh, later on that week, we were talking with all the leaders and, we, and I kind of shared. And my kids were starting to freak out. Because they don't have a real grasp of marriage. And, and for most of them, they don't really have an adult male who's married in a committed relationship. And so they're like, Mr. Alberto, what does this mean? Is your wife going to leave you? Like, are you no longer married? And they were like getting frantic. There was like this panic, right? And I had given up the ring for loss. But there was then at a leader meeting, we, we, we were spending some time with the leaders. We were talking. We were praying. And we had this like moment. We just someone started sharing the things that they were they had lost and other leaders started sharing and I'm like I lost my ring and we all started praying for each other and all these lost things right and I mean we eventually started crying which I think at that point it moved into like feeling for our lost friends and like the 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 emotions that we were feeling for the these kids that we had brought with us that were so lost and so far from Jesus and we desperately wanted them to know him and at the end of camp um, you know, five days passed, and I had this feeling like, it's going to show up, it's going to appear somewhere. And uh, one of the leaders was just kind of walking around, and she trips. And she looked down, and right where she kind of fell, there was a ring. And so she picks up the ring, and it was in the grass in the middle of this field that I wasn't even in. And she's like, ah! <gasps> The ring, you know, the one ring, right? And so she, like, runs to find us, right? And she finds one of my leaders, one of our volunteers, and she's, is this his ring? And so he, like, grabs it, and he goes running to where we are, and he's running up the hill, and we're all, like, I'm handing out shirts to kids, and we're, like, talking, whatever. And he, he comes up running, and, and, and when he sees us, he's Alberto, Mr. Alberto. And I'm like, what happened, what happened? And he just kind of, like, puts the ring in the air, like, in the most victorious, like, sign ever. Ah! And I just look at him, and I'm like, it's my ring. And all the kids, like, I mean, there were, like, 30 kids. They all just started, like, circling around. And we're all holding up this ring and chanting and screaming and cheering. And everyone is like, yeah! And people are crying. The leader who found it is crying. And kids are like, Mr. Alberto, you're still married. And like everyone is just celebrating and everyone is just rejoicing. And everyone is just so happy because this ring was lost and was now found. And I think that these stories, right, and, and they're allegory, they can be allegories, and oftentimes we, it's easy to just kind of put them into like uh, a little kind of one-on-one allegory, right? The shepherd is Jesus, we're the lost sheep, the, the, the shepherd, you know, the, the woman is Jesus, and we're the lost coin, and the father is God, and we're the lost sons, you know, and, uh, but I think the, the, what they're, tr- I think part of, what Jesus is just trying to get us to understand is that there is something missing. There is someone missing. And we're not whole without them. And what joy will we have when that missing person is found? What joy will we celebrate and there's two sides of that coin right 
not the lost coin, just kind of like the metaphorical coin of the story, right? Is, is one is that individuals matter. And, and we can look at it like we matter to God and our, our story matters to God. That God pursues the lost, that his heart is to look out. Um, and that there's what joy is there to be had when we're finally reunited. But there's also the other side of that story, the other side of that coin. And this, if, if this person, this sheep owner, if this woman can celebrate so much when, one, when their lost thing is found, how much more should we or could we celebrate in the inclusion of someone who is out and being brought in? Right? We battle this, this social structures of who's in, who's out, you know. And, uh, and what God wants us to know is, is that we're lost. We're missing something. And we're not whole until we're whole. So um, I'm going to read the story now. And... Um, and uh, actually, Kim is going to help me hand them out, right? So we're going to hand this out. And uh, um, could someone else help her so maybe she can get one side? Oh, look at you. Come on. Fantastic. She's ready to go. What? By row? Oh, come on. We got to clap that up. Let's come on. But you did good. <laughs> um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, Amy, would you mind playing uh, a little music while we read this? And I'm going to invite you. It's in English and then in Spanish, and then in English and then in Spanish, each of the story. I'm going to invite you to um, read it in whatever language you want, or both. I'm going to invite us to use our imagination. I'm going to invite us to really sit in this story. I'm going to invite us to think about a little bit about who's missing. We're not complete. Who's missing? Who's not here? Who needs to be here? What relationship was severed that needs to be restored? What connection and also think then, whose job is it to restore that? The shepherd looked for the sheep until it was found. The woman looked for uh, the coin until it was found. Who are we missing? And what role do we play, do I play in going to find them? What role does Jesus play in going to find them? And bringing them in. So I'm going to give you guys a couple of minutes uh, just to read the story. Um, and then I want to try something. And it might be a bad idea, but who knows. But I want us to then afterwards, I want us to take a, a minute to just share uh, what you felt reading the story. Or what you heard reading the story. Or who are you missing 
that needs to be reconciled? Who's on the out that needs to be on the in? And, and think about that moment, the joy that we could share in celebrating that moment when the lost are found, that what has left us incomplete is restored. And we'll, we'll just kind of get into small groups and we can share that, okay? So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to read uh, and, and use your imagination. Sit in the story. Find yourself there. Okay, so why don't you get uh, find someone near you, maybe groups of like three or four or eight or whatever. Um, you can just get into smaller groups, maybe everyone who's on your row, just kind of come together uh, and, uh, and just briefly share uh, what you heard. Who's missing maybe in your life? Uh, who needs to be included? And what role do you play in, in including? Uh, what role does God play in including? Okay, so go ahead. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It is a reminder to us, an awakening to be aware of who belongs, who's in, and who are we missing as a church. And what is our place, our job, our role in including and going and finding and bringing back and welcoming and celebrating.